Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about biological or natural products. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's going on in your farm, we'd love to talk to you. Our number is 844-44-AG-PHD if you want to call into the show. Again, that's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. Um, before we get to that, though, this topic of biological or natural products, let's put it this way. This is what I say to farmers all the time. How excited is the general public to hear, oh, there's a new biotech trait that's coming out in seed versus, oh, there's a brand new herbicide that's coming out. It's a chemical versus, well, there's some natural product that already exists in the environment somewhere. It's natural. And now we're going to use it in our crops to help stimulate the crop or fight a weed, insect, or disease. Okay, so those are the three choices. Which one are people most excited about? Well, it's pretty obvious, right? So the the whole thing is in the last roughly 20 years, there's this there's been this big focus worldwide to get rid of a lot of harsh chemistries, which is great. So if you look at a lot of the really dangerous products that we used to deal with here in the United States years ago, they're gone. Now, unfortunately, some of them are still in third world countries and some of those same third world countries import food here to the U.S. And I have no idea why we take the food when we've banned the pesticide. Makes zero sense to me. So you, you got you, you to gotta draw the line and say, hey, if we're banning that pesticide in our, our country, we aren't taking food in from countries that allow that use on that crop, right? That, that would only make sense to me, but it's not. That's not the way it works today. Anyway, I feel really good because most of the dangerous pesticides, they're all, they're all gone. Uh, we're dealing with much, much, much safer chemistry than we had years ago. But nevertheless, people still want this option of, I, I want something natural. something. And the term biological gets used a lot. I just don't like that word. To me, that uh, uh, it, it just sounds a little scarier as opposed to the word natural. So anyway, we talk about natural products all the time. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So one is gibberellic acid. And this is something we talk about in pastures and quite frankly in uh, corn, corn silage too. To, it's a natural plant hormone. And by using it, then you can boost elongation in the stem. So in other words, you make that plant taller and you get more tonnage. So if you're after more grass production, it's awesome. If you're after more silage production, fantastic. If you're after more grain production, eh, we haven't really seen any any conclusive results on that one way or the other that, oh, it's good or it's bad. So my, my point is when we use it in the right place, and it's pretty inexpensive, uh, it gives us tremendous results. And again, it's natural. Already exists in nature. Uh, the pyrethroid insecticides, they were derived from the chrysanthemum flower, natural. Uh, so it, it's exciting when you have things like that that come out of nature and we can just take it from wherever they were found and now use it in our crops. So people can feel pretty comfortable about not only using these products. And I'm not saying, oh, we want to take a bath in them or anything because you never know. It's, it's just like some people are allergic to flowers. Well, you know, you could be allergic to any of these natural products too, but 
it's not like it's harsh chemistry that's going to you know cause major problems and and ecological disasters or anything like that. So it is really pretty exciting. So we'll talk about that throughout the show. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right, Brian. Uh, we we talk about grass waterways every so often on our show. This comes in from Jerry. He said, "I I've been spraying my waterways." Uh, for weed control for years, I spray, but sometimes I kill segments of the grass roots to keep from plugging my tile lines. I don't ever kill the entire waterway. This way I keep those waterways working, but uh, you don't want those waterways sodded in. In just a few years, grass can raise the waterway from its sod and roots so the water never gets into the waterway. So right. you want to be really careful about that. Well, yeah, but here's the thing. You can't just put a waterway in and then, oh, I'm never going to maintain it ever again. He mentioned weed control, but in some cases on on our farm, we rip out our waterways and start over because things happen. You get massive amounts of rain or whatever, and some dirt moves, whether it's coming from another field or somewhere else, it stuff happens. So anyway, you just have to reshape that waterway sometimes. Uh, as I'm talking about that, that just reminded me, some of these we get such a charge out of in some of our township roads how the culverts are not in the right spot. And I question if maybe the culverts were in the right spot when they were put in 50, 80 years ago, but now they're not just because of erosion and things have changed and everything else. But yeah, when the when the culvert's halfway up the hill, it's not really doing the drainage justice. And then it ends up damaging the road too because the water isn't able to flow through. Anyway, I know I got off topic a little bit there, but go ahead, Darren. What's next? All right. This one comes from Phil up in Michigan. He said, uh, first of all, love your magazine you put out. I read it all the time. I love your soil testing program. Every year I'm learning more and spending dollars more wisely. But I was just reading a, an article that you guys wrote on weed control for 2022, and I think you missed something. I've noticed for many years, I've been no-till for over 20 years, that in my bean ground following corn, higher corn yield equals more trash on top of the ground and that results in less weeds for me so i i really like that when i've got some residue to choke out the weeds yep um we probably didn't mention that but it it, that's very possible the other thing along those same lines is if we just do a great job with weed control each year fewer weeds go to seed and then we have less problems so part of that is whatever you're going to use for herbicides but a really big part is how how well the plants can choke out weeds during the season. So when you talk about your corn crop at the end of the season and all the residue there, I'm thinking a lot about the corn crop during the season. If it's thick enough, lush enough, those plants are healthy enough all season long, then they prevent weeds from coming in later. So it's really pretty awesome. And yeah, we got to work on the whole system here. It's not just about one application of a herbicide or anything else. Got to look at everything when we're talking about great weed control on the farm. We're going to talk about natural products in agriculture coming up right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Nothing waits for a farmer. Not the weather, the banker, the crops. It's never at a farmer's convenience. So when it comes to crop protection savings programs, how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate? Don't wait for rebates. Get the True Choice offer from Corteva AgriScience for instant upfront savings on crop protection products. Ask your local Pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the True Choice offer from Corteva. But don't wait. 
If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, making claims of improving soil health and plant development. But which products will work best on your farm? Well, that's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products and want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. Today in the show, we are talking about biological, or as we call them, natural products that exist in agriculture. First on the show, we've got Trevor Israel with us. He is with Valent. Trevor, how are you today? I'm doing well, Brian. Thank you. All right. So talking about this biological or natural space with Valent, you have what I believe you call your biorationals business, right? Uh, so, so first of all, what do you mean by biorationals? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's kind of a uh, a a broad term that uh, um, that we've kind of uh, adopted at Valent, and just to uh, really encompass a lot of different products uh, uh, and uh, and sources as well. I mean, there's uh, bio, uh, biological, natural, just to emphasize uh, you know the biological base, whether it be a uh, say uh, naturally found in an environment from a different organism, or whether it's um, uh, e even a plant hormone, uh, to say so that's that that's been um, uh, refined or or uh, isolated to 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 be applied. Okay, so, uh, to so certain crops. So all right, so give us a couple examples of, let's say maybe a couple of your more popular biological or as we call them natural products. Right, we have several categories. I guess one. Um, I'll touch on first is uh, some uh, soil amendments, uh, and that would be uh, uh, our MycoApply uh, line of products, that, uh, whether that's Endoprime uh, C, which can be applied in furrow, and there's an Endofuse, a seed treatment. Um, and those are, uh, that's a species, uh, four species of arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi. So that's uh, four different species that we've isolated and, and formulated to be uh, applied uh, with the crop or, or on the seed at planting, uh, and a lot of a lot of times that's uh, uh, really diminished from from soil that's uh, used from heavy heavy tillage or uh, uh, long periods of, of flooding, um, just uh, intensive agriculture. So, if we can uh, 
uh, reintroduce those into that uh, environment, and that's uh, really a, a slow process. So that's a, a way to jumpstart that uh, colonization of, of those uh, uh, naturally found uh, soil organisms. So right. and, uh, another uh, category. Oh, I, but before you before you go on to that, that second one, I would okay. just say for our listeners that mycorrhiza fungi, that's been known for decades now to be really beneficial in agriculture. It's, it's fungi living in the soil that will attach itself to the roots of your crop, bringing in many different nutrients. We talk about phosphorus quite often, but many di- different nutrients. And that it, it can be really beneficial, but pe- be, but people and companies have tried in the past to put mycorrhiza fungi in the soil, and the natural microbes just seem to um, destroy a lot of these introduced microbes. So that's one of the reasons why we're excited about these MycoApply products that he's talking about, because at least they've been surviving much better and giving us some yield boost. Okay, so go ahead, uh, Trevor. What, what's your second one you want to mention? Uh, another uh, uh, one I'll mention is kind of the uh, insecticide, some um, category that we have. We have a, a couple uh, foliar insecticide categories, uh, broad categories. One would be the, the pyganic line, which is uh, it's pyrethrin. So that's, that comes from a, a chrysanthemum plant um, that's naturally uh, insecticidal. So that's, that's a, we've uh, refined that and uh, really isolated that into a product that can, you know, that's also has a an organic label uh, offering, so that can be applied foliarly to to control a number of pests. Another product uh, would that fits in that category would be uh, Diapel, but that comes from Bacillus thuringiensis, um, you know, and other uh, Bacillus uh, species that we've uh, isolated as well, and that's a uh, broad spectrum uh, uh, Lepidopterum. Uh, control. So, yeah, the, the interesting uh, I've always thought about Dipel is it's labeled in the organic market and it's BT, so it's almost identical to what you're going to have that's inside the BT corn. And for some reason, people are like, oh, BT corn, and boy, that's scary. Yet with Dipel, you can spray the same basic stuff right over the top of the crop and it's approved for organic production. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I'm, I'm glad, Trevor, that you got that, that product offering out there because it is really popular around the world and a really good insecticide family. Trevor, I got about a minute left with you. Do you have any uh, last comments you wanted to leave us with just in general about biological or natural products? Um, I, you know, I would also mention that there's a whole line of, of um, uh, plant hormones, uh, gibberellic acid. We have several products in that to, to stimulate yep. um, early season growth or even, you know, trigger different mechanisms in some of the specialty crops um, just to really target uh, uh, really uh, fine-tune uh, an operation to uh, to get its uh, maximum yield and, and timing and really trying to uh, work with the environment and what's happening in the field at that time. In this particular year, uh, Valence uh, leading the way in that just to really try and fully understand uh, an agricultural you know, or cropping system and really uh, use the products and knowledge we have at our disposal to optimize that. We've been talking to Trevor Israel with Valent. We'd encourage you to check out some of the products that Valent has in this whole space of biological and natural products. We're using some on our own farm. Trevor, thanks a lot for the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Have a great day. You too. All right, next we've got a friend, Lee Lubers, on with us. He is with Extreme Ag and Farms in South Dakota. Lee, how are things going on your farm today? I'm doing good. 
All right, so we're talking about biological and natural products today. Uh, I assume that you're using several different things on your farm in this space, uh, but uh, what what are maybe the top two or three like categories or maybe even specific products that you're that you've found to have really good results? Well, uh, when we plant, we always have something going on either in furrow or in seed treatment. Yep. So we can do things from humics, fulvics, uh, PGRs, uh, products like microcycle that's going to help solubilize a lot of nutrients and make it more available. And we saw the ROI in things like this before prices doubled and tripled (laughs) on the fertility side. Yep. So for us, it's a no-brainer. Uh, on foliar, there's some options there. Uh, even right now, we're blowed out today from spring, but we're doing fall pre's, getting ready for next year. Uh, it's a perfect time to throw in something like decomp to not only break down residue, but release all of those nutrients in the stover. So it's just, there's a multitude of ways to do it. I'm glad you brought up the high fertilizer prices. Well, I'm not happy we have high fertilizer prices, but I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people are looking for alternatives. And what you're saying is you're using some of these products to at least enhance what's out there for you, maybe make some nutrients more available that are in your soil. Exactly. We know we're going to get a real good ROI by doing that. And like here this fall, we're going over the, we're going over the field with the sprayer anyways. So we throw that in. And we're going to gain in residue breakdown, and we're going to free up a lot of nutrients in that stover. And the value of that stover is worth a lot more than it was four months ago. So what's the top piece of advice that you would have for any farmer listening today who, let's say, has never used a biological or natural product on the farm? Don't be afraid of them. They not only complement fertility, as like we're also doing with our fall pre-program, getting ready for 22, they work well with chemistry, too. All right, I got about 30 seconds left. Lee, any last comments you got on these biologicals or naturals? I just want to reiterate, be willing to try, be able to try some products. There's some really good products in the market, very user-friendly, easy to use, and they work very well with conventional farming like we're doing. Uh, they, they add to our ROI. Yeah, absolutely. Again, that's Lee Lubers. He is a farmer in South Dakota, good friend of the show here, been at our Ag PhD field day many years, and uh, also works with the Extreme Ag Group. Lee, thanks a lot, and uh, hope things continue well for you on your farm out there. Hey, thanks. You bet. Yeah, I think Lee brought up a really good point, and I, I, in my notes before the show, I had forgotten to even write that down, just thinking about that high fertilizer cost and trying to make residue come, let's put it this way, get the nutrients out of the residue just a little bit quicker and make some things in that soil a little more available quickly for the plant. It can really be a help. So I, I would reiterate what Lee said. Don't be afraid to try some new things. We, we've tried all kinds of stuff in the farm. I'm not going to say it all works, but uh, we certainly have found some biologicals and naturals that work well. We'll talk more about this product category right after this. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? 
ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective, contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Winter is here, and that means it's the perfect time to improve your farming operation by attending Ag PhD's winter workshops and clinics. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting a bunch of free workshops throughout January and February, with each event focusing on different subjects that all help you make more money on the farm. On January 11th, we start off with a wheat agronomy workshop, followed by two days dedicated to understanding soils and cutting fertilizer expenses. Then on Monday, January 31st, we're dedicating a whole day to drainage and the benefits of tile, followed by our corn agronomy workshop on February 1st. Finally, we'll be discussing soybean agronomy on February 15th, with the next day fully devoted to learning about one of the newest developments in increasing yields across the country, natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information on how to improve your farm, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, all these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Learn more and register at agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about natural products. We get a lot of questions about this segment of agriculture, and we're really fortunate to have some some great people that we get to talk to on a fairly regular basis, like Doug Phelps with SIPCAM Agro right now. Doug, thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining us. Hey, glad to be on. All right, so we get a lot of questions about these naturals or biologicals, and certainly as farmers start looking at these things, they've got a lot of expectations. So what should expectations be when farmers start getting into this segment of agriculture? Well, I would say the, the, the number one thing that, that growers need to be reminded of is, is that this category of products for some reason, the expectations are that if I use the product, it needs to work 100% of the time. And, and I can you know, point to many different uh, products that are used on the farm that in some instances work really well. In some instances, you don't really see anything, yet you continue to use them. So with the expectations of, the, of these naturals, we need to be reminded that 
that they tend to work better when there is a stress or some kind of limiting factor that they can help address. And if you're in a perfect growing condition or perfect growing season, in some instances, you may not see as big of a benefit from it. But in those growing conditions, you typically aren't really you know, having to worry about every dollar you're spending because you've made a good crop due to the, the perfect growing season. So, you know, what, what I recommend is, is, is take a look at these on some good fields, on some bad fields, uh, specifically target them towards some limiting factors and, and, and look at the whole, you know, the holistic benefits that you get from it, not just specifically yield, because you may see other benefits like improved soil tilth or, you know, nutrients becoming more available that, that uh, you know, these products are specifically helping address get a lot of questions about uh, some of the different uh, organic acids and humic acid and fulvic acid and and amino acids that are out there on the market today. Uh, Doug, this seems to be uh, the Wild West. It seems to be not a lot of regulation, not a lot of direction here. And man, is there a difference between products? What should growers be looking for if they say, you know, I'd really like to try a humic or I'd really like to try a fulvic. Uh, Where can I see the best bang for my buck? I, th- I think people need to start focusing and in, in, in holding these manufacturers accountable for data. You know, what we typically see, like in the Humix, is that, you know, a, certain companies are having some good responses, they're getting some interest, and, and then you get everybody kind of flooding out of the woodwork saying, I've got a humic acid too. And you start saying, you know, where's the data? And they may have two or, you know, two or three field trials in the same county, and, and that's the expectation that it's going to work everywhere. So, you know, I think a good quality manufacturer has done his homework, has done the research. They're, they're looking at the use on multiple crops and multiple soil types and, and application conditions. And then you're looking at the totality of that to say, is this product performing across a broad range of, of, of you know, opportunities and, and situations that it, that it would uh, lend itself to saying, yes, it's it's time for me to go ahead and take a look at this on my farm and then give it a thorough evaluation from that point forward. Okay, let me ask you a real basic question. Talk to us about the yep. difference between humic acid and fulvic acid and, and when farmers would use uh, one or the other in their operations. Okay, so the difference between the humic and fulvic, when you, when you use the word humic acids, plural, you are in that definition. It is humic, fulvic, ulmic, and 27 other organic acids that, that can be isolated. Typically, a dry granular humic product like Leonardite or when you see a humic acid product in the market, that typically contains humic and fulvic acid. I don't know of anybody that specifically isolates the fulvic, throws it away, and just uses a humic product. So when when you see a, a, a black material, for the most part, liquid or dry granular, it's humic acids. Um, many years ago, we started to isolate the fulvic away from the humic fraction, specifically targeted at foliar applications or or uh, seed treatment, you know, areas where we needed more precise, more um, plant stimulatory components without the, we'll call it problematic, long-chain black sludge fraction of it. In using in, in, in targeting the two products, I, you specifically want to focus humic acids on a soil applied application where you are getting the benefits of the soil amending uh, properties, 
and focus your fulvic on your foliar applications or if you're using acid-based fertilizers or you know you, you've got red balls uh, meters that you can't see when the fertilizer is black that's an area where you can uh, put the fulvic acid in with your say starter fertilizers both very versatile i think there's there's a lot of opportunities with the both of those products but um, I've heard people talk about putting a humic and a fulvic out. I think in some instances that's overkill because of the fact that the fulvic is already in the humic that you're using. And I would recommend that you take that fulvic and, and use it later on in the application in a post-herbicide or, or some kind of a foliar application and spread the benefits of the humic and fulvic across the growing season. Yeah, there are so many things here, and it's important that you do your homework on these, not just say, well, you know what, I got $5 corn. I guess I'll just spend an extra 20 bucks willy-nilly out there. Uh, that yeah. doesn't doesn't yeah. usually work out too good. As you were talking about, Doug, there's a lot of difference out there in the market, and, and working with a reputable supplier is, is a great way to start. Yeah, and, and, and I, the other thing I'd like everybody to know is just because something's expensive doesn't mean it's better, all right? If, if we can get a good quality product, you should be able to, you know, spoon feed and put that out with all of your fertilizer applications. I don't know how many times I've run across somebody that says, I use a humic or fulvic with my starter fertilizer, and then I say, well, what do you do with your side dress nitrogen? And they said, they either don't put something with it, or they say, well, I spent all the money on the starter, so I didn't have any left for the side dress nitrogen. If, if humics and fulvics are helping, for instance, make fertilizer more efficient, I want to make sure every time I put a fertilizer out there that there is at least some humic or fulvic with that application. And so if you could, you know, if, if you have a limited budget, split that, you know, take that budget and, and, and split it across all of the nutritional applications on that acre so that you're at least getting a benefit with every nutrient pass. Great advice. We're talking with Doug Phelps with SIPCAM Agro. Doug, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Thanks for, for uh, all the information. Yep. Thanks for having me. You bet. Let's head out to Wisconsin. We've got Mark on with us right now with a question. Mark, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Don? Good. Good. What can we do for you? Well, uh, it's soil testing time. And, you know, a lot of times we know what should be done and then and then there's what we do and in soil testing what should be done is you should variable rate or you should test every two inches down and one acre grids every year well that would be but wonderful if money is no problem and you money, say gosh i got just tons of money i can spend on the sampling do one acre but we see i'd say five acres probably more common we see a lot of guys in the yep. two and a half are you doing fives or two and a halves or where are you starting from well that's my question uh we were kind of thinking starting at five acre grids and then a year later Maybe split those into. So yeah, I've had that. I've had that thought too. Split them down into either one acres or two and a half acres or something like that. Well, so okay, Brian, you've well, you've done some of this stuff. We've yeah, done we've some done ten acres. Split and, it down to five. Split it down to one, and gone in the reverse. And and Mark, here's what we prefer: it's starting small 
and then going to big. And I know in the short term, it's less work and it's less costly if you say I'll go five acres instead of one. But at least take a field and do one acre. And the reason why you want to do that is now you can see all the variability in that field, especially with liming and stuff. It's unbelievably important. But even with P and K this year, and for that matter, even nitrogen, for the cost of fertilizer, you don't want to over-fertilize this year of all years. Fertilizer is the highest price it's ever been. So it's more important to do small grids this year. But then in the future, you, if, if you even that out even one time, now you can start combining fairly similar grids and you go, oh, okay, I got six all together here that are all about the same. I'll just combine those into one in the future. And that saves you some money and time and everything else. So we'd rather have you start small and then work your way to big in the future. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for the call, Mark. We really appreciate that. Good luck as you get started on that soil sampling here. It's starting to get a little colder. It's not going to be quite as much fun as it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we'll be right back after this. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. A lot can happen between fall and hydrous ammonia applications and early corn growth the following spring. NSERV Nitrogen Stabilizer protects nitrogen between fall applications until critical corn growth stages, helping produce maximum yield at harvest. Fall applied applications of NSERV have been proven to increase yield by 7% on average. Nitrogen is one of your most expensive inputs each season. Protect that investment with NSERV. For more information, contact your local retailer or visit nitrogenmaximizers.com. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, January 11th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, fertility requirements, and ways you can make your crop more resistant to stresses like drought and disease. We'll be covering all this and more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There is a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide. 
brand new chemistry, three no-excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Also, you can email us, radio at agphd.com. And we had, just before the break, we had Mark from Wisconsin on, and Mark had a couple more questions. I was just waiting for this, Mark. I was waiting for the no-till angle on your soil testing question. All right, go ahead, Mark. I know you got to ask it. Go ahead. You know what Kenji says? Test it four inches. I can't, I always want to test deeper than that. You got an opinion. We do six. That's been kind of our standard thing just across all environments. That, that's been what we've tried to do, six inches, and we're, we're going to do some tillage. We'll still do the six inches, but we'll do it before we do the tillage. Uh, in in okay. that no-till environment, I, I, I know what Neil's talking about, I, and I get it, uh, and you could certainly do it that way too, but I, I like the six inch. for for Just personally, that's how we've done it. Yeah, I, I do okay. as well. The reason why he says four inches is because that's – he feels like you can change that more easily and you're and readily when you're in no-till, you're not going to be changing as much as deep as often. And I get all that. But the problem is we have roots going deeper than four inches. In, and so the way I look at it, I, I want to go down to six. The other thing is if you look at most tests that we've ever done, especially in no-till, there's more fertility near the surface of the soil. So if you go a little okay. deeper down to six inches, now you're going to, it's going to appear that you have slightly less fertilizer, right? I would right. rather have me thinking I have a little bit less fertilizer. So then I put just an, a little bit extra on. So that theoretically should give me a little bit greater chance for higher yield than figuring the other way where I have, I think, oh, I'm in great shape on fertilizer, and then my plants end up running short, and I'm really disappointed. So that's kind of the way I look at the thing. So I'd rather go six inches. Okay, and then the next question is, is if you just do NPK, that's probably not enough. But let's say your good basic test is maybe $8 for the majors and a couple of the more micros. Yep. Uh, but to do the whole shebang, I want to say it's like 20 or $22 a sample. Well, you're doing that on one acre grids, that gets, you know, that adds up. Okay. So do we, have an opinion? Y- yep, I do. We switched over to Malik three tests. I like the manganese test better in that anyway. And I feel it gives me all the same data and I'm running a complete test and I'm going to say it costs 10 or 11 bucks. So I can only save just a little bit, maybe a couple bucks by leaving the micros off. So we just test the micros every time. And I would also say you don't have to test every single year. You can look at, all right, here were my tests. Here's what I pulled off based based on my crop. And then you could make some calculations and figure out what you need. So I'm not saying you have to test every year or anything like that. In fact, I'd rather have you test less often in smaller grids than more often in big grids because we want to find out where's that variability. And now we've at least got that baseline to, to go from moving forward. Okay. Malik. Three. Yep. Is who is 
who almost everybody was, will we've run a melee gone three. Through Land, I, yep. Yeah, you could ask them. I I assume they would run one too. A melee three is just a little simpler method, and so then they can get by with a lower cost. And and it's this way okay. with just about every lab out there. But yeah, we've run with Midwest Labs, for example, and they can run the old test that we we did before, including DTPA and everything else, and the Olson test and the Braze for phosphorus and all this stuff. And yeah, I mean it's twenty five, twenty six bucks. So or you can just go with Malik three. We're also still running it through Midwest Labs, like for us, and it's ten or eleven bucks. So anyway. Okay. Yep. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. You bet. Thanks, Mark. Brian. Yep. Appreciate it. All right, so today on the show, we've been talking a little about biological and natural products. And I would just say, if you haven't been using any biologicals or naturals, then we'd really encourage you, try some things out. Let me give you an example off our own farm. Back, this is probably, I don't know, 15, 17 years ago, something like that. Uh, I think it was Darren that talked to me about a product, and, and I'll, I'll just tell you the product, just so you know, it was Quikrits, and it was a combination of a beneficial fungi and a beneficial bacteria. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm fine trying anything, anytime. So we, we I, I'm not going to say love trying new products, but we are willing to try new products on a very regular basis because we want to find out what's going to make money on our farm. And the other thing is then we feel like we are just a lot more educated when we get questions from other farmers out there. So anyway, we tried this out. Did it one year, had results. Did it the second year, had results. So it gets to the end of the second year. And I just remember our farm manager's like, hey, Brian, are we going to do this on the whole farm now or what? Because it looks really good. I said, you know, I'm still not convinced because I have always been a skeptic, especially with a lot of these biological or natural products. Because let's face it, there's a lot of snake oil out there. So anyway, the, the third year, we did this, we, we put quickrits on 10 different varieties, in corn varieties now, in 10 different fields and split the planter. So we had a variety in a field and we split the planter in that we had quickrits on one half and none on the other half, all through the field. So, I mean, literally we had strip trials on like a thousand acres of corn, 10 different varieties, and the average gain was eight bushels. And I'm like, okay, well, now I'm convinced. Now, I'm not saying you have to put whatever you use through that rigorous a process over three years and do it on a thousand acres and 10 different varieties and all this stuff. But I am saying we'd encourage you to try some things out multiple years and then not just look at your end of the year yield. Because I'm guilty of that myself. I, I'm busy. I don't spend in as much time in the field as I probably should. But we just try to make it a point that, look, if we're trying something new, we want to not only just do field evaluation and walk out there when it's emerging and any of that kind of stuff, but we also want to take plant tissue samples so we can find out, hey, are we getting more nutrients in the plant or are we not? We want to do root digs so we can see, hey, do we have more roots here or do we not? And it was in part thanks to that where we said, oh, wow, we actually are seeing more nutrients through plant tissue sampling, and we're seeing bigger roots, and we're seeing the plant be just a little bit bigger early on. It was like it was getting a little early boost. So we had all those pieces of information 
to go along with the yield at the end. Because otherwise, if it's just yield, sometimes we're like, well, I don't know. Maybe it was a fluke. And, you know, it costs some money. And I, yeah, it's, it's some work to put it on. So let's, I don't think it's that big a deal. But when you've done the evaluation through the season and you have all these other pieces of data showing you why the yield should be higher, well, now you're just much more convinced in the end. So I, I would just say uh, try some things out. There are a lot of different product categories overall we're talking about here. It's everything from what we would call biostimulants. So in other words, like just as an example, we put... I'm trying to think of what the number is now, 75 different treatments on our soybeans and 35 on our corn. And because of that, we can speed emergence roughly 10 to 20% versus untreated. It's a really big deal. Now, you might not think 10 or 20% is a big deal, but I just want you to think about this. We very often plant and the soil temps 45 degrees and then it stays 45 or less for a while. <laughs> and then we get some rain and we have insects and diseases, and we have a lot of stress. Imagine the stress that that plant is under. If we can get it out of the ground 10 to 20% faster, does that often lead to higher yield? Yes, it does. So anyway, biostimulants is one category. There are also what we would call biopesticides. So that could be everything from biological or natural-based products to control weeds, insects, or diseases. We also talk about plant growth hormones. I mentioned gibberellic acid earlier, but there are many different types of plant growth hormones. So there, there are a lot of different categories here. Oh, yeah, and humics and fulvics, I forgot to mention too. I mean, a lot of things you could look at and consider for your farm. So I would just say, try some things out, learn a little bit about this overall product category. We've been using things for many years now, and we're going to continue using more, trying more new things as we go forward, because I think we're just in the infancy with all these biological and natural products that could come on the market in the future. All right, we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now... You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career, and it's all free. So register now at agphd.com. 
While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We've been talking about natural products in agriculture on today's show. If you've got questions around that, you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Or if you'd like to call in, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right. So first question for, or I, I should say next question for Ag PhD Mailbag, because we answered a couple earlier in the show. Uh, this one is from Adam, and it's more a comment than any kind of question. And he just feels that Roundup is really dangerous and believes that it's leading to Parkinson's and that uh, farmers have a responsibility to keep us and our soils safe, and Roundup is destroying both. Look, Adam, um, when you look at the EPA and FDA data, that is not the case. Uh, their data would completely contradict what you're saying. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, oh, all pesticides, we want to just readily eat them or anything else. But here's the thing. If you're that worried about your food, you can have any food tested if you would like. You can test your cereal. You can test your meat. You can test anything and see if there's Roundup in there. And I would, I, I'd be willing to bet you that if there is any Roundup ever that you find detected in your food, it's at a ridiculously low level. So I, I would have you think about, okay, who's more likely to have a problem with Roundup? It would be the farmers that are actually applying it, and we're just not seeing that. There, there's no difference um, a, a, or anything that's happening to the farmers that are applying it versus others. But anyway, we're not here to debate uh, Roundup safety. That's the job of the EPA and the FDA. And we feel like, hey, we're, we've, we've got to trust somebody and some actual science rather than just uh, listening to what we hear in the news media that is not fact-based or certainly what we read on the internet that's definitely not fact-based. So anyway, I, I would say what I, what I mentioned earlier in the show is like when Darren and I were growing up in the farm, there are a lot of actually proven dangerous products out there. And 
not enough safety was used around those products. So I feel bad for some of the people that weren't really paying attention there. But with Roundup and in this day and age, boy, I mean, a lot of farmers are doing a fantastic job trying to keep not only themselves safe, but the food safe. And that's the reason why we have the labels that we do and restrictions on all these different products. Because you can't just go spraying anything you want at any time on any crop. And the other thing I always bring up to people that think, oh, farmers are polluting the planet with chemicals and fertilizer. I'm like, look, farmers want to spend as little as possible all the time. I've never met a farmer in the world that just says, oh, you know what? We'll just throw 10 times more stuff out there. We don't really need to, but whatever. It's just fun. Of course not. So farmers are very, very conservative, and they're, they're, I, personally, I think they're doing a fantastic job. And if you look at the safety of the American food supply, and for that matter, Canadian food supply as well, it's better than you're going to find anywhere else around the world. So I, I, I'm just here to stand up, number one, for the American farmer, number two, for the science of the EPA. But, you know, the other thing is, you and anyone out there is certainly welcome to farm however you want. If you want to farm organic, that's perfectly fine. But let's not forget that we still have to have some way to control the pests because if you don't control the weeds, the insects, the diseases, and you don't do a great job with fertility and everything else to raise a great crop, you'll find far more natural carcinogens in that food than conventionally raised food. And that's a fact. So we've got to do everything we can to protect our crops at all times from stress. The less stress the crop has, the fewer natural carcinogens there will be, and the safer that crop is overall. All right. All right, ready to dive into some soil samples here? Yep, yep. I looked them over already, so fire away. (laughs) Okay. Uh, All right, so we got uh, five different soil samples here that get sent in from our friend Chet over in in Montana. He said, guys, we got some soil tests here, and I will freely admit it's one sample per field. Some of these fields are 80 acres plus. So I know what you're going to say about that. (laughs) You can't rely too much on one sample. Nope. But he said, if you see the consistency between these samples, you'll notice we've got pHs in the 6s to 7. We've got around a 15 CEC. And you can kind of see where the nutrient trends are at. Is there anything that stands out on those that you would say that could help us? We've had a couple of issues here, especially where we've got high magnesium levels and lower calcium levels in the base saturation test. Uh, what what else do you notice and what would you do with these soils? Okay. Uh, calcium, magnesium, for the most part, is pretty good. That's not going to impact your yield a whole lot. But what is going to impact your yield a lot is just the fact that there's flat out not enough P and K out there. So if you look at the primary nutrients, N, P, and K, and then you look at these soil tests and you go, okay, nitrogen, I got nothing. Phosphorus, I got nothing. Potassium, I'm I'm not going to say super low on potassium, but I'm only at 3% and I'd really like to be at least four. So I'm going to focus on NP and K. That's what I'm going to do. And then there are other nutrients as well that are low. So for example, sulfur is a secondary nutrient. It's tremendously important for all crops. It's really low. You got just a few pounds per acre and you just flat out need a lot more. I don't care what crop we're going to talk about. And then I look at the other micro, and then I look at micronutrients. I say boron, 0.3 parts per million, too low. Zinc, 0.5 parts per million, too low. Copper, 0.8 parts per million, too low. So 
I mean, there's there's just there's a lot of work here that needs to be done, and sometimes we get focused on this calcium magnesium thing. And I'm not saying that's completely unimportant. It is important, but I'm going to focus on all the nutrients first. So that would be my advice. And when you hear this and you go, "Oh yeah, great, I need N, P, K, sulfur, boron, zinc, copper," you're like, "Great, fertilizer is." triple the price of last year, and now you want me to put all this fertilizer on? Look, I'm not saying you have to put crazy amounts of fertilizer on, but I am saying your crop needs something, and there isn't much fertility out there. The other thing that I want to bring up is super, super important for if you look at dry areas like Montana. Okay, You're not going to get a lot of rainfall. When you don't have a lot of rainfall, your crop's going to be really suffering a lot of times, and we the, the tendency is to say, well, I just needed more rain. And one of these fields, it even says fallow. Look, the reason why we have to go fallow or the reason why our crop suffers from moisture loss or not having enough moisture, I should say, is because there isn't enough fertility out there. So it, just think about this. It's a proven fact that if you have the right balance and right amount of fertility, your crop's going to use less water. And the reason why is because nutrients come into the plant for the most part with water. So if your crop is short on nutrients, what's it going to do? It's going to start pulling more water in, even if it doesn't need the water. So it becomes a water waster. So I, I, I just put it this way. First of all, Doing a composite sample is not the way to go. At least do five-acre grids. And I don't care if you only sample once every four years or whatever, once every six years. Just at least do some smaller grids or zones because composite sampling is is not good and I just flat out don't trust it. Fertilizer is expensive. We don't want to over-fertilize. And for that matter, we don't want to under-fertilize because crops are worth a lot of money. So that's the first thing that I would say. And then the second thing is take part of a field and get it loaded up. I mean, where your N, P, K, all these micronutrients, uh, secondary nutrients, everything is great, is in the fantastic range, not the, oh, it's kind of okay range, the fantastic range. And then try not following for a year and just see what happens. I'm not say, suggesting you do this on the whole farm, but I am suggesting if you have the right fertility out there, I think things are going to turn out a whole lot better for you than you might imagine. All right, got a question that came in from Rudy in Indiana, and he said, you guys talk about naturals on seed treatment a lot, and I got a few questions. First of all, I like to have fungicides on my seed treatment. I've seen that pay over the years. Can I still use beneficial fungal products, or will they die if I have my standard fungicide seed treatment on too? You need to talk to the makers of the fungal product and find out if they've tested it with those fungicides because, yeah, you think about it, if it's a fungal biological, it very well could get killed by a fungicide, but not all fungicides kill all fungus or fungal species. So you got to get it tested. All right. So the question is, how much do you spend on seed treatment for soybeans? My dealer says it will cost me about $10 an acre to add naturals. Is that a reasonable price? Uh, well, that seems kind of high. I mean, we spend about 15 bucks total, and that includes the inoculant and extender, the fungicides, the insecticide, and all the biologicals or naturals. So we're probably spending three to five bucks on biologicals or naturals. But I mean, it all depends on what you get for a return. I would tell you, try some things and then you'll see if, it, if it's going to pay or if it's not. Thanks for all the questions today. Really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.